Hi, my name is Dr. Sarah Adams. I am a board-certified pediatrician, but I'm not your pediatrician. Feel free to use my podcast as helpful information, but in no way do I intend my podcast to replace the advice of your physician. Your physician knows you and is in the best position to provide medical advice. Hello, and welcome to Growing Up with Dr. Sarah. I am so excited about my special guest today, so without any further ado, I'm going to start the introductions. The first I'd like to introduce is Bridget Bowling. She is a certified pediatric sleep consultant through the Family Sleep Institute. She discovered her passion for pediatric sleep after sleep draining her first child and then helping her family and friends. She founded Little Snoozers Pediatric Sleep Consultants in 2016 and has enjoyed helping families all over the country. Bridget is married with four children, and they're ranging from age two to eight. And our second guest that is joining us with Bridget is Beth Levy. Sorry, Beth. There we go. Uh, Beth Levy is also a certified Family Sleep Institute Child Sleeps Consultant. She is also a licensed independent social worker. She received her master's of social work at the University of Chicago and began her work as a therapist with children aged 3 to 18 and their families. After having her own children, Beth realized there's a lack of postpartum emotional support for new mothers. She set out to change that by running new mother support groups and covering topics like self-care, relationship changes, blending family traditions, and of course, baby sleep. Today, Beth works as a sleep consultant, working with parents to empower and support them in their journey of helping their child children get their sleep on track. So I get so many questions, Beth and Bridget, from many parents and caregivers about sleep on a daily basis, several times a day. But as the sleep experts, what do you think is the most common question you guys receive? So this is Bridget. Um, I think that the biggest question that we receive is, my child was sleeping great. They were sleeping through the night. They've been sleeping great for years, and now they're having wakings. So, you know, they're either having night wakings all of a sudden or they're having early risings and families are just like, oh my gosh, how, how do I get my sleeper back? Um, so that would be the biggest question we get. Um, and, you know, with that, there's actually a very simple answer, um, usually. Well, I have to tell you, know. you what's interesting is that I literally got that same question today. So oh. it is a very common question. So I, I'd love to hear what you usually tell families how to help that. And because I know they're worried, you know, all of a sudden, uh, many times they come to me because they're thinking, well, something might be actually wrong with them. So once we've kind of ruled out any organic causes, then let's talk about some behavior solutions. Right. And so typically I would say probably 80% of the time it's an early bedtime for one or two nights. Um, those night wakings and early risings are signs of being overly tired. 
And since sleep begets sleep, getting caught up at the beginning of the night will help them sleep more soundly and sleep, um, you know, through the night nicely and wake up at their normal wake time. So usually about two days, one or two days of the, the early bedtime, we'll get them right back on track. I love that idea. Sometimes I think, um, I think sometimes we think the opposite, like maybe they're having trouble falling asleep because they don't, they don't need the sleep, but really they do. And it's funny that you said the sleep begets sleep because my mom used to say the more they sleep, the more they sleep. And, and I always remembered that. So a lot of parents are scared of that early bedtime. They think if they put their kids to bed at 630, they're going to wake up at, you know, 430 in the morning. So, you know, we have to explain it's really the opposite. If they go to bed early, they're going to get a good night's sleep and sleep begets sleep. So they're actually going to sleep in later. So that's always our kind of first line of defense is to try that earlier bedtime. Um, once we can convince the parents that, you know, it won't cause them to wake up at 430 in the morning because kids that young, they just don't know how to sleep in yet. So as a teen could go to bed at, you know, midnight and sleep till noon the next day, young children just don't have that ability. So what do you find is the biggest challenge when they try that approach? A lot of times it's just the family, um, you know, if there's working parents, it's just kind of reorganizing how they're going to get home that quickly and do bedtime. And a lot of what we do is supporting the parents and we're reworking their whole daily schedule. So we're helping them, you know, figure out when the best time for naps are, how we can get them home, how can we work with the daycare to kind of maybe prep, um, give them a little dinner so that we can quickly get them home and get them to bed. So it's more logistical, um, you know, reasons that we kind of help them through so we can get them to sleep as early as, as they can. I really like those ideas because, again, so many people think about well, this all sounds good when you say it, but to try to build it into our routine sometimes can be difficult. So you guys are not just giving advice, you're also helping them work out individually how they're going to use it for their families because every family is so different. Right. So a lot of people think of sleep training as just, you know, they're going to make my kid cry in the middle of the night, but we're really looking wholly at their day you know, when's their wake up, when should naps be? And we give it a specific plan to them. So they really know, you know, I'll even map out for families, let's try dinner, you know, five and then bedtime. And they really appreciate kind of having that leaving with a concrete plan. Um, We give each family a concrete plan that they can follow. And so it kind of helps them stay on track. And I would imagine, too, just really coaching them through the consistency because i that's one thing that I really advise to families is just keep trying, be consistent. They Kids really are so good at getting onto a routine. I think a lot of times we're the barriers, you know, there. Right. so um, just don't, don't stop trying because right. these methods really do work. And kids... Kids thrive on routine. So they need that. They need that early bedtime. They need that daily routine. So I think you're right. A lot of times, you know, it's more of the parents trying to 
work in a late night, you know, dinner, you know, event for their kid, but they need routines. They need that early bedtime and it does take more than a night. So it is consistency. And that's kind of the support we provide during the week, you know, keeping them on track and, you know, keeping the support going. So they know if you stick with it long enough, you'll get to that other side and you'll start seeing results. Um, because a lot of times we get families that tried say, oh, I tried sleep training for a night. It didn't work. So I gave up, but it's more than that. You know, it's, it's, I always say it's like going uphill and you got to get over and back down, going downhill the other side. So it's that consistency that we really try to help families with. We're there to support them, you know, as much as we can. Yes. No, I agree. And one thing, one comment I always like to say, it's like, choose your heart (laughs) because it's either going to be hard just for a time being to get them in a good sleep routine so that they're sleeping better. And then in the long run, everyone is doing so good because we really underestimate sleep. Even for our children, it's so important for their growth and development. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And luckily, like with when we talk to clients, giving them a time frame like gives them peace of mind. So we say be consistent for two weeks and then you can move on. So just knowing, especially when they come, when they have older kids who might be toddlers and they're like, oh my gosh, two weeks is nothing at this point. Or somebody that has a four month old who they've been up all night, every night since the baby's been born, like two weeks is nothing compared to what their, you know, our end goal is, which is a sleeping child, which brings sleep to everybody. Yes. Yes. So A lot of times when they talk about sleep and, you know, parents are always, You know, I feel bad because they look at me and sometimes when I'm talking to them and they're like, and I ask, you know, where do they sleep? You know, we talk about what, what is their environment, their sleep environment. And, and, and I'm like, I'm not going to be judgmental. This is all just trying to help you and not just, you know, help your baby get your child, your baby or your child get good sleep, but so that you do, because you're going to be more effective for them the next day. Yeah, we're moms too, we're parents, Bridget and I, and, you know, we know how hard it is to have those sleepless nights. And a lot of what happens is parents go awry because a kid will wake up once, maybe they were sick and they say, fine, you can sleep in my bed tonight, you know, and then it kind of spirals. And then every night they're crawling in the bed or, for example, I had one client where the child woke up and he asked for a snack in the middle of the night. So that one time he gave the child the snack, but then every night, you know, for months and months, he was waking up and wanting a snack in the middle of the night. So, you know, it just takes, like you said, getting through that hard where you don't give in. And that's when you see behaviors change and it's so quick. So it's just sticking with, you know, those firm boundaries of you have to sleep in your bed. You know, we're not going to give you a snack or, you know, and getting past that so that the behavior changes and stops and then they start sleeping again. So we have to help parents understand that, understand that they just, they have to deal with the hard and change. And they're so scared to change those patterns, but once they do, they're going to have lasting results. And it's so important to have a child that's sleeping through, through the night, because like you said, they, they need that sleep. They're growing, they're developing and they, when they're in school and they're tired and they're falling asleep and they're rubbing their eyes, that's not, you know, that's not good for them. So. 
And, you know, the other thing, too, is that that the I don't know how to how am I going to say this? I don't want to say, you know, um, when there's a new habit, like waking up and having a snack or a bottle if they're little or, you know, I'm going to rock you back to sleep, whatever it is, you've just created a new routine. And mm-hmm. as simply as it was created, it can also be um, remedied, right? Right. So right. now I had the opportunity to meet both of you through um, a client of yours, a patient of yours. And one of the things that she was telling me about that I just thought was so cool was a bedtime chart, a bed, and, and that this. I think she was two or three and she would walk around with her little, with her poster board of this chart. And I'm really intrigued. I want to hear a little bit more about that if you don't mind. Sure. So, you know, when we're working with the older kids, it does oftentimes take longer because they're older, they can protest more. But the cool thing is it's not like a baby where it's something we're doing to them, the sleep training, we're actually doing this with them. And we involve them in the process. And that's why I actually really like working with the toddler age. So to prep them for the change, first, we have a family meeting. We set all, you know, we set the whole family down, siblings, parents, and we really talk about what's going to happen tonight, uh, you know, or the, you know, usually we do the day of what's going to happen tonight when we start the plan. When you wake up, we're going to walk you back in the middle of the night. We're not going to go, you know, you're you're not going to sleep in our bed. And then we create a cute little bedtime chart. So they write out with their parents or the parents write and they, you know, decorate or draw a little picture. What are the steps? We're going to take a bath. We're going to brush our teeth. We're going to read two books and we're going to get in bed, something really simple. And it takes the battle out of it. So, you know, when they're saying, no, I don't want to brush my teeth, the parent or even oftentimes the kids say, nope, we're on step two. So it kind of takes that conflict and they can just very concretely look at that chart and they take some ownership in their bedtime. And another thing I do is I create a calming basket. So I tell the parents, get a basket with, you know, a sippy cup of water, some board books, a little calming buddy, some little fidget toys. So that the children can learn when they wake up at the night, there's something they can do. They don't have to call mom or dad. They can soothe themselves using those tools and their little calming basket. Um, And then we also offer logical rewards. So, um, you know, we don't say you can have an M&M if you sleep all night, but we do say something like if you sleep all night, you're going to have a lot of energy. And in the morning we can go for a running race or a bike ride. Um, So we really healthy. Yeah. So we really keep the child as part of the process and that really helps them. So they're prepared, they know what to expect and they're part of the process. And, and having options like that versus like an M&M or, you know, we'll go get, like you just, you're, it's, you're creating moments for them that they really thrive and, and want to be a part of um, as well. So that gives them additional motivation. Yeah. Yeah, when I would have any sleep issues with my children past the baby stage, anytime like we'd get back on track, we'd celebrate with jumping on the bed and I would be jumping as well. So they thought that was the greatest That's thing. Awesome. Yeah. You know, we had so much fun and, um, you know, it's a nice thing we do together. And you know what? They're never going to forget that. They'll, they'll right. remember that <laughs> even when they're older and they'll probably use it 
when they're when they have their kids because right. they remembered what a special time that was for them and it's it's good to celebrate. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, as adults, we get rewarded for the things that we do. So I do believe in rewards, but I I like the idea that you're using shared time and fun activities versus you know just candy, which yeah. you know is uh, it's very common. So- we try to keep the rewards logical, something that makes sense. You slept all night, your body is rested, you know, let's do something active. Let's jump on the bed. And there's no greater reward than getting to spend that special time with mom or dad compared to, you know, a toy or a candy. So, you know, it, it, it connects the pieces for them. They start getting it. Oh, I feel rested. My mom and dad feel rested. You know, tell them I have the energy because I slept all night. You know, I feel energetic to take you on a walk or, you know, take the dogs out. And so that really helps them to stay motivated and we start seeing changes. Yeah, I love that. That is great. That's a great way. It gives them permission to go through the heart because they know they have that to look forward to. Right. Yeah. And they're so proud of themselves. Yeah. When they think. <laughs> so in kind of in the same um, scenario, so to speak, I actually saw a child today and the mom was concerned because he was always, a um, went to bed without a problem and they have a great bedtime routine. But now one of the things, and he actually got teary eyed in my office, which just broke my heart, but he started to cry when mom mentioned that I think part of the problem is that he wants to play his video games. Do you hear that? I mean, even with the younger kids, it's sometimes really hard to get rid of those electronics, um, especially before bed. So any tips that you would have for our listeners about kind of that that transition? And mom was doing great. You know, she had a she had a plan, she was following through. He wasn't very fond of it, but he, you know, I, I did a lot of encouragement to tell her what she was doing was okay. You know, um, and sometimes that's what it takes because they're doing the right thing, but then they feel so, you know, as parents, we feel so guilty about it that you find yourself, you know, doing things that you really in your heart know probably are not, you know, good to do because in the moment you think everybody's going to get better sleep if I just fix it right away. But in the long run, again, it, it does make a difference. So what is your advice as far as electronics? Like when to turn them off? When, I mean, I try to tell people definitely in those, um, you know, under two, very, very limited anyway, but we're talking about maybe like the two to six. So typically like they shouldn't be doing electronics within like an hour of sleep. The nice thing is with the older kids, you can say, okay, like we're going to do, you can have electronic time between 4.30 and 5 or 5 and 5.30 while I'm getting dinner ready. That's your time to, to choose which electronic you want to use, watch TV, play your video games, iPad, whatever it may be. And after that, they're off, we're having dinner, you know, and incorporating a book into bedtime instead of the electronics and you know, if you do it for a couple of days, they're out of the habit. So just being consistent with it and, you know, not giving in when it might be convenient if you have something you need to get done, um, you know, choosing blocks instead of 
the electronics that close to bedtime because they are very addicting. <laughs> I know. I know. And then, you of know. course, you add the light, which decreases melatonin, which then complicates yes. things even more. But I, I like that idea of let's let's build in that time so that, um, you know, that they know this is that time. And now this is another, you know, another this is our bed, our bedtime routine, our bedtime. <laughs> right, what a right. concept. <laughs> a lot of times to help simplify for parents, I just say no TV after dinner. So it's that natural cutoff. And from the beginning, you know, as, as early as my kids started watching TV, they knew they got one show a day. When that was over, that was it. You know, if it's an iPad they're using, set the timer for 30 minutes. And when the timer goes off, you know, that's that. Because the lights on, you know, computers or TVs, it really does affect their sleep. So we want that off as much, you know, before they're going to bed for the night as possible. And kids are watching TV younger and younger. So we really do need to be aware of it and, you know, asking families, how does electronics play into their schedule and when is it happening? What about snacks and drinks too? I don't mean to switch, but even that playing a part, I imagine you probably, you know, give some advice about that. Well, I'm okay with a bedtime snack. Um, the only issue we see is we don't want a potty trained child drinking tons of liquids before <laughs> bed because that could, you know, make them wake up in the night or, you know, even stall their bedtime and, keep saying that they have to come out and use the bathroom. Um, so again, with anything else, put that in the schedule, make a time for after dinner, one bedtime snack. You know, if, if a kid's going to bed feeling a little bit hungry, can't they can wake up in the middle from that. So we want them to sure. go to bed with a snack in their tummies. Um, normally we say make it, you know, a protein and a carb. So maybe like a whole wheat bread with a glass of milk, something like that, where they're getting some protein, some carbs. So it's also about, you know, what they're eating. We want to limit the sugar before bed and just kind of provide like a wholesome cheese stick, you know, and a glass of milk, something like that. Really sounds good. You know, it reminds me of a funny story and, I, we still even use this word today, but my, my son, he would, you know, come up with things and reasons to come out of the bedroom um, when he's, you know, when he, it's bedtime, et cetera. And one day he came out and he goes, I didn't get my snack. And I was like, you did have your snack, you know, and I reminded him what he ate and all this. And he goes, no, that wasn't my snack. That was my snack so he called it a snack up. And I was that's, like, that's is creative. that like a pre-snack? <laughs> like, yeah. So then yeah. we started, you know, having fun with it. And we're like, okay, is this your snack or your snack up? You know, and even yeah. now, you know, my children are adults and uh, my, but even my husband and I joke about, you know, I'm having a snack up, you know, give me a minute. Yeah. So. We just like the one snack, not the snack and the snack. It's normally one snack. Right. And sometimes we do have kids that, you know, the problem is they're coming out at bedtime. It could be, oh, I need a snack. I'm still hungry or I have to use the bathroom. So we do a creative thing called a bedtime pass where we give them one excuse, one chance to come out of the room. It could be to use the bathroom or they need water. Water. And once they've used that up, um, you know, that's it for the night. And if they don't use it, they can they can save them and um, make, maybe get a reward at the end of the week if they didn't use their bedtime pass at all. So we do get that a lot. 
the snacko or the bed, you know the bathroom <laughs> or whatever it is. You hear all the excuses. So you know, one kid this week told his parents the the sleep doctor told me that I don't have to get tucked in. So they try everything oh, to yeah. you know get the one more excuse. So that that really helps take the battle out of it. Just use that bedtime pass. I like that idea. That is so, Bridget. Did you ever use that, or what? Even with your own kids, I mean. I, um, you've got, I love the range of your children from age two to eight. So I, yeah. I'm, I'm sure that one of them probably did something funny or similar to that, whether it's a snack or bathroom or, you know, waking up cause they're scared at night, et cetera. Yeah. Place. Um, typically right now, my oldest is like a snack at every night before bed because <laughs> he's waiting for all the other kids to go to bed you know, after dinner to get the process going. So by the time he goes to bed for a snack, so that, and that's okay. You know, for him, that's his moment, you know, it's kind of like his time, like you said, and, and I don't think there's anything, you know, I think that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Well there, I know there's so much we could talk about with sleep and we didn't even talk about babies. You know, I know you guys um, are experts from four months to about six years old, right? Is that about the range that yes. you help parents mm-hmm. and families with? And so, I mean, I think we could yeah. do a whole nother podcast just talking about the infants. Um, but I really appreciate, you know, what we did talk about um, in regards to the toddlers and the, and the, you know, preschool kids. But I would say building a routine before you get to that. You talked about, you know, getting that routine in. How can a, um, a mom or dad or caregiver, when they, they have those infants, help really establish after four months of age to get in, into a good sleep pattern um, and not be like a, a night waker, um, not snacker at that age, but you know what I mean. And uh, maybe a few pearls of wisdom to share, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, so one of the things you can even do before their four months is start creating these healthy habits, like a healthy foundation of sleep for sleep. Um, the dark room is huge. The dark room will help their body produce melatonin. So this is for all ages. Um, some parents think, oh, my child needs a nightlight. You know, well, then when they have their night wakings, which we all have them, whether we remember them in the morning or not. Um, so they will still have the night wakings, but they will roll back over and go to sleep like the rest of us. But having that light is stimulating and can wake them from sleep when things instead, if it was, they would just roll back over. Um, so having a dark room is wonderful. A sound machine on white noise. It does not need to be loud. You know, it can be the volume of a fan that helps block out outside noises, whether they're in the house or actually outside, outside to help them sleep more soundly. Um, and the white noise is a nice, consistent sound where they're not, their brain's not having to think, what note am I going to hear next? Or what, you know, what raindrop or what birds or, um, so the white noise is huge, but, um, being consistent. So, you know, the same thing every night, having a consistent routine. So even when they are small, you know, you can go through the jammies, the diaper, the sleep sack, read a book, 
sing a song and put them to bed. And when they, they believe that this is the routine. And then after that, I go to sleep. And so they catch up with a lot of little, you know, environmental things. That's, I love what you said, Bridget. Another thing too, is a lot of times parents miss those sleepy cues and then they have a, you know, a newborn who's exhausted and wired and hard to get to sleep. So I always tell parents, look for those sleepy cues. When you first time you see them starting to rub their eyes or yawn, start the little bedtime routine so you can get them down for, you know, a nap during the day before they're overtired and try practicing putting them in the crib drowsy, but still awake. So they can have that experience of drifting off to sleep um, on their own and not being rocked or, you know, going in a car to get into that deep sleep. So if you're able, try practicing to put them down drowsy and see if they can drift off as much as possible. So all those things that Bridget said to really help. Yeah, because we, like you said, we all get up in the middle of the night. And a lot of times when parents are talking to me about, you know, the child is baby is getting up in the middle of the night and so I always start by let's let's talk about how do they fall asleep because if they le- teach them if they learn to fall asleep on their own then when they do kind of wake up and roll over or you know if they're old enough to do that for example then they're going to be able to to put themselves back to sleep without having needing you to to start that routine again right yeah. And sometimes those habits have started and that's where the sleep training comes in. You know, we get kids, let's say a six month old that's been rocked to sleep from, you know, from birth. That's where we come in and, you know, we teach them the method that we're going to use to get them to sleep through the night. So it involves some crying, some fussing um, with us, with the parent being involved, like doing some checks and um, teaching them to self-soothe. So they can learn to fall asleep. So that's where a lot of times somebody will hire us, say, Hey, I've rocked my kid to bed from the beginning. Can you help me teach them to soothe themselves so they can connect those cycles and fall back to sleep? And that's kind of where the sleep training piece comes in. I think another really important thing is that parents are so afraid of the early bedtime. And after, you know, if they have a late bedtime, they're like, yeah, they're wired. And then when we talk to them, it's like, well, you know, we're doing a 630 bedtime or, you know, whatever bedtime it may be. And they're like, oh, they do get really tired around 6, 630. Yes. It's like, yes, because they're circadian right. rhythm. Bedtime. <laughs> right. So instead they're like, they're watching those cues and then they're getting a second wind and then it's a nightmare putting them down. So yes. follow their cues. They're telling you, yeah. you know, so follow their sleepy cues you know, sync their, with their circadian rhythm and, you know, it makes it easier for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I know, again, we could talk about this for days and days, and this is why you guys are the experts, but I do have one other question that I get a lot. And that is, when do we change from the crib to the bed? (laughs) That's a big one. A huge (laughs) one. I tell people if they can, college in a crib crib they're successful (laughs) (laughs) wow yeah okay okay so we recommend around age three okay um just because they learn out of their crib doesn't mean that they are mature enough to sleep in a big kid bed or a toddler bed it means they've learned a new skill so instead of all right and 
parents think, oh, look how cute this bed is or this comforter. Children don't care. Mm-hmm. Toddlers and babies are used to the four sides in their crib and that's security for them. Um, so what we recommend is once they start having, a, once they climb out of their crib, you know, obviously make sure everything is anchored in the room and the room is childproof and safe, but silently return them. So pick them up, put them right back in their crib, walk out silently. You may have to do this over and over in a night, but they will get the clue that, okay, even though I know how to climb out time and I'm not getting a reaction. So I'm just going to start going back to sleep. So you don't have the climbing out <laughs> nightmares and you can hold off till closer. So they're around three. That's good. And they're safe, you know, like you said, not right. just the security, but it, it, it is safe, you know, for them to, to be there. But that is a, that is a question I get all the time. And, and, uh, um, I really like your analogy, um, about that and, uh, that it's a new skill. It's not necessarily a sign that they need to go. Now, do you recommend the toddler bed when it is time or do you recommend a, a conventional bed? What do you usually tell parents? I say whatever works for them. Okay. Um, you know, as long as there's like a railing to keep them safe in the big bed, that that's fine. Um, you know, a lot of people will transfer babe, um, babies into big kid beds when they're having. I always recommend invest in a crib, borrow a crib. It's worth it, mm-hmm. especially when you have a newborn and then a child getting out of their their big kid bed when they're not ready. <laughs> yeah, game over. Yes, a new baby's enough. So when a new baby joins a family, it's a lot on the older child. So when we move them out of their crib and they're dealing with the transition of a new baby, it can be a lot. So we do recommend keeping both by, like Bridget said, getting a second crib or borrowing one and keeping the older sibling in the crib. Don't let a new sibling be the reason to move the child out. Let them deal with one transition at a time. And a new baby in the home is definitely a big enough transition to manage and then they can work on getting into a toddler bed. And I I really like that advice. I'm definitely going to use it with my patients for sure, but it's such good advice because again, like you said, it's, it, 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 it doesn't necessarily have to change the routine for the toddler and it's only going, if, if they're not really ready to be in a big girl or boy bed at that time. And so the other part of that too is that it's kind of like getting out of bed. That's not necessarily the sign either. So what signs do you look for? A lot of times it's just waiting until they're three years old and we know that they have that mental maturity, but sometimes people will even have a three-year-old and they'll ask me, Oh, is it time? Should I move them out? And I say to them, are they comfortable in their crib? And if they say, yeah, I say, are they, reaching end to end and they'll say no, you know, are they trying to come out? No. If they're still comfortable and, you know, they're three, keep them in the crib till three and a half. There's no said fast, you know, reason that they need to change or a certain age that they need to change. A lot of times it is potty issues that they do have to move because, you know, they'll be in their crib and they'll say, I have to use the bathroom, you know, in the middle of the night. So that's one reason that I would consider them around three moving if that becomes an issue. 
And a lot of times in that scenario, we'll move them to a toddler bed and actually put a little travel potty right in their room so that, you know, on some newspapers or, a, or a, you know, a waterproof pad so that if they do get up, they can even do that in the middle of the night, use the potty in the room without waking up mom and dad. So normally potty would be the one reason where I'd say, okay, you know, it's okay to move them. But if they're happy and they're sleeping through the night and they're comfortable, don't rush to move the child. Yeah. It's like, don't fix what's not broken. They're safe. Exactly. They're sleeping right. good. You know, it's like, right. why yeah. would you want to disturb that? Like, right. don't disturb exactly. that. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, the comforter and the bedding and all that, it can wait. It can wait. Right. right. And we get so excited about yeah, that stuff though. Right. Right. Yeah. That's for us, not for the child. Right. <laughs> Sometimes we yeah. have to remind ourselves that, right. You know, that yeah. some things are, or something like that is, you're right. If they're sleeping, let it go, you know, leave it alone. And, yeah. uh, and you'll, you'll know, I think a lot of times parents just know it's, it's time. Yeah. yeah. So, and, oh, go ahead. No, I would love to hear. I mean, see, sometimes you do get a child where you've tried everything and they are climbing out over and over. They're starting to hurt themselves. And that is a time that, you know, we would consider, putting them in a toddler bed. And if, if they're about, you know, if they're under three, I also recommend yes. Number one, securing all the furniture down so that they couldn't get up and hurt themselves in their room, but also adding a baby gate to their door to keep them in their room because we don't want a two-year-old, you know, roaming around the house at night. So that was my one time where sometimes you'd have to move them. Yeah. I'm actually working with a client now. They did the transition too early we then moved the child back into the crib. He was getting out so, so many times it was exhausting and he was starting to like, you know, not climb out as gracefully as he once was. And so we, during this two weeks of brought in the big kid bed. And so we're doing the sleep training from there. Um, and a lot of, a lot of it is, um, you know, timing. So getting every piece in line, but yes, we did have to get rid of the, the crib and you know, safety issue in this case. Try everything to get, to keep them in, but if needed, you know, then you, you move out. So. Yes. Yes. So as, as moms and as sleep experts, what is the one thing that you really want to leave with our listeners? Mine is be consistent. Um, you know, a lot of people will try so many different, I've tried everything, but you can't try something for one day, two days and expect to see the results. You know, we recommend at least four days to see the effects that whatever your action was will have on the child. Um, so my biggest thing is consistency. If you're not consistent, the child doesn't know what to expect, you know, doesn't know what's going on. And you will get, that's the response you will get. So consistency, consistency, consistency. Absolutely. Yeah. And I would just add to that, your child needs more sleep than you think they need. So prioritize sleep. You know, I always tell parents, forget the eight o'clock karate class. It's more important when they're young to get them in bed at a good time. Just make sleep a priority because it's so important to them, to their development. 
Thank you both. Oh, go ahead. No, I'd love another. The nice thing is with the making priorities, sleep a priority and, you know, the early bedtime is that parents really do find that time when their child or children are sleeping to reconnect with themselves. I always, every client I talk to haven't, they haven't slept since usually the child is born. Um, Not always, but I'm like, get your Netflix list ready and you can start binging Netflix. Wow. Um, Doesn't that sound like a dream? It's nice to have that time to reconnect and eat dinner together. Yeah. You know, just kind of have adult time that you enjoy your night. Yes. And, and that is so important because in other podcasts I've mentioned, it starts from the top, right? And one Mm -hmm. of the reasons why I'm really passionate about really getting these messages out to families is because I want the parents and the caregivers to have a good life, you know, and, and let that trickle down into their kids and, and then everybody's happier for it. But uh, it's, it's a roller coaster. We know that, right. And, uh, but just keep trying. And, and uh, I can't thank you both enough. I, I really am excited for our listeners um, uh, to enjoy our conversation together. It's been fun. And I am including on the show notes how you can get a hold of Bridget and Beth at Little Snoozers. And don't forget to listen to Growing Up with Dr. Sarah on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or wherever you listen to your shows. Thank you guys again. I Thank you so much for having us. You're yeah. welcome. And hey, have a good night's sleep. <laughs> you too. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.